0: Cool. Thank you, Saren. Um, and yeah, the, the GFI as a whole has been massively instrumental in some of the work that we're doing in Cambridge um, and cannot recommend highly enough Amy and uh, the Alternative Protein Project as well if you're interested in setting up your own thing. Um, so yeah, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Cambridge University Alt Protein Society, which we founded in 2019 when I was an undergrad student. Um, and has since grown into something a little bit bigger than that. Um, We first collaborated with EA Cambridge um, in the summer last year to run uh, the Alternative Protein Fundamentals Program, which I'll speak a little bit more about in a second. Um, I'm now actually working full-time as the Director of Alternative Protein Field Building for EA Cambridge. We've also got one other uh, part-time employee, Sophie, and um, are looking to scale this into something a bit bigger. So, going back to this graph that Saren showed earlier, um, obviously incredibly exciting, uh, just showing kind of what growth the industry's had, especially in the last couple of years. Um, two key points that uh, we kind of see in this graph one is that um, both by the deal count um, and just the total number of uh, total amounts of investment in the space, uh, this field is growing very, very fast, both in terms of the number of companies and the size of each of those companies. Um, And so uh, basically all of the companies working in this space at the moment are currently coming up against talent bottlenecks or envisage uh, coming up against talent bottlenecks within the next couple of years. Um, And so we really need better talent pipelines to help get um, excited, bright people into this space. Um, And the other thing is that this is the uh, private investment landscape. Um, this is a couple of order, orders of magnitude higher than the uh, current investment in public or open access research in this space um, and this means that a lot of these companies are doing very similar or the same fundamental research behind closed doors without much information sharing at all um, and that in a lot of cases is resulting in relatively wasteful, inefficient both time and resources allocation. So. Uh, In terms of the things we really want to focus on um, is that uh, we're looking to build this kind of multidisciplinary alternative protein ecosystem in Cambridge and now more broadly as well, um, but with a real focus on talent development and talent pipelines and also open access research. So looking at talent development, um, we uh, built this uh, alternative protein fundamentals program like I mentioned, we ran the first version of this, a kind of pilot scale version, uh, in the summer of 2021, last year. We had about 35 people on that program, and of those 35, um, 10 are now working in the alternative protein space, either with their careers or research or setting up their own student groups and working within their kind of university ecosystems to boost this space. Um, and so we iterated that again uh, for this year. we just coming to the end of um, the first, ses- uh, first section of the program now. Um, and so, yeah, this second version of the program we developed in collaboration with GFI. Um, and really, the aim is to bring participants up to speed with the kind of fundamentals of the alternative protein science, as well as any kind of tech- technical or regulatory hurdles that are kind of preventing the widespread uptake of these kind of products. Um, And so for the second version, we've scaled it up to 401 participants from 61 different countries. Um, And, yeah, the idea is that we really want to take people from a position of maybe interest in this space or had kind of heard little bits about it to actually being able to take tangible steps with their careers to make meaningful impact. And so in terms of the structure, um, it's similar to... Uh, the EA introductory fellowships that you, I'm sure many of you will have done or um, the AGI Safety Fundamentals Program that we're also running from EA Cambridge where it's um, eight weeks of discussion sessions with kind of two-ish hours of reading a week followed by an hour and a half discussion with a facilitator who's a bit more experienced in this space. Um, And then that's going to be followed by a four-week capstone project where people can kind of take this learning and then... Uh, implement it in some kind of self-driven project, whether that's um, kind of starting their own student group or uh, scoping out uh, a hypothesis for some research, looking into how they can develop their career in this space. We've tried to leave it kind of as open-ended as possible um, to allow people to kind of then take this on further. Um, And as part of this, we're running a uh, careers fair at the end of the program with a bunch of different companies in the space. To just really make it as or lower the barriers to entry as much as possible for people who are interested in moving into this area. So in terms of the kind of topics we're covering, um, this is the kind of eight-week syllabus. First week we're kind of explaining the case for alternative proteins as Saren kind of outlined today, the various different impacts that it could have um, and kind of why it's important. Then we talk about the uh, technical aspects behind plant-based meat fermentation and cultivated meat uh, before going on to the kind of non-meat applications whether that's alternative dairy, uh, alternative seafood and alternative textiles. Um, We then uh, look at the kind of main technical challenges especially focusing on cultivated meat and the kind of debate around cultivated meat at scale, what current um, TA's say about that and kind of really digging into where the potentials are for actually making impact with these kind of things. Um, we then go and talk about the social, political, regulatory hurdles um, or barriers to this space. Um, and then Week 8 is really just a kind of participant-focused uh, careers and opportunities section. So in terms of the participants we have on the program at the moment, it's roughly uh, quarter undergrad students, 36% percent uh, postgrads, um, and they are kind of generally quite STEM heavy, but we do have a number of um, kind of humanities students on it as well. Um, A few postdocs and professors, as well as quite a large chunk of non-academic professionals who are taking the course for various different reasons. Um, There are some people from adjacent fields, such as policymakers, investors, consultants... Who are just looking to learn more about the kind of fundamental science behind these processes so that they can make better informed uh, business decisions or policy making decisions, um, as well as people, kind of maybe industry researchers or other careers who are looking to pivot into this space mid career. Um, So, in terms of a kind of impact metric that we already have or something that we can already measure, um, we So, we've taken a few of the resources from the GFI's uh, massively open online course on um, alternative proteins, which is, uh, as Sarah already indicated, the GFI have some really, really excellent educational resources on their website. Um, and we were looking at the kind of uh, very blunt force instrument, but kind of looking at the YouTube views on each of the videos from that massively open online course. Um, And so if you look at the views from uh, this is before the program was running, we've got kind of lecture one at the top, two, three, four, and five. Um, And we'll go on to examine this a bit more in a second, but there was something like uh, 25%-ish retention from first lecture to last lecture. Um, And this is kind of very, very excellent uh, educational resources, but um, Clearly, there are ways that we could improve the way that people are kind of taking this in and sticking with the course for the whole thing. Um, and so we've just been very uh, loosely tracking those kind of YouTube views throughout the course of the program. Um, so we've got the kind of the discussion sessions for week one started um, on that kind of dotted red line. A few people doing their reading before the start of the first discussion session, which is always a good sign. Um, and then we had these kind of lecture one and two, uh, sorry, lecture two and three were both part of the second Week materials, lecture four was part of the week three, and lecture five was part of the week uh, week four. Um, and so when we kind of adjust the baselines and take out um, the kind of discrepancies that were already in the program kind of before the views, sorry, the, the view discrepancies that were already in the program before it started, um, if we look at the kind of retention numbers across all five lectures, um, like I said, there was a kind of 27% retention across the three lectures for the massively open online course Um, but with this slightly more interactive seminar based and discussion based learning, um, we had about 76% retention from the first lecture onto the last lecture. Again this is just um, uh, quite a blunt metric, it's only just used uh, by me checking the YouTube views every now and again so um, we'll hope to kind of get a bit more detailed retention metrics when we look at um, a few other things at the end. Um, but I thought it was just an kind of interesting point to note. Um, So in terms of the kind of impact so far, um, we're currently on or just finishing up week seven of the program, so we anticipate that a lot of the measurable impact will come in the next few weeks and months as we move on to the capstone project, people start thinking about their careers beyond here. Um, But just a few of the indicators that we've got so far. Um, We... Uh, There are a few new kind of student groups spawning out of this program. There's a Nordic alt-protein group, which um, already has kind of between or just over 50 uh, members uh, who are part of the program. Um, There's a kind of London alt-proteins group forming uh, from kind of UCL, Imperial, Kings and LSE. Um, Purdue University in the US, which has actually quite a new uh, alternative proteins uh, innovation center. Um, There's a new student group starting there, and also the University of Delhi. Um, And then with uh, the Norwegian University of Life Sciences, or NMBU, um, they have taken the curriculum from this program, and with a couple of professors there, have developed a special syllabus within the kind of uh, university ecosystem, so students can now take this course for university credits within within the university system. Um, So, in terms of kind of next steps and where we want to go with this, obviously we need to complete this iteration of the program, um, and that will be kind of capstone projects, careers fair, and then really um, the most promising projects and the most promising candidates. We want to offer them as much support as we can um, through the coming weeks and months to help them kind of get the most impact out of that they possibly can. Um, We then want to spend a few months evaluating the program more in depth, both from uh, participant and facilitator feedback, as well as a more in-depth kind of impact assessment, and just seeing uh, really what the kind of multiplier effect of this was um, before, and then using that to inform how we look about uh, the next iteration of this program. Um, And so we think we're planning to run the kind of next global iteration of this in late 2022 or early 2023, Um, We thought that one of the kind of big value adds from this program was people from uh, various different countries around the world being able to interact with each other. Um, We've actually had one of the uh, students from uh, Delhi in India contacted a professor who was a facilitator on the program at Virginia Tech University and is now going to be doing kind of a research internship with her over the summer. Um, And so we're really keen to kind of keep this large scale global program going Um, Whether we think about trying to scale that up again and the kind of logistical impact of that as well as the fact that we might not be able to invest quite as much time in each participant or whether we scale it down and invest more time in each of the participants for kind of increased impact. Um, We need to have a bit of a think about that. Um, We're also planning to kind of do various interviews with companies in the space to really nail down what the talent gaps are and how we can optimize the program to kind of fill those Um, As well as looking at kind of more interactive learning options and whether, um, okay, so the seminar program is maybe has better retention than a massively open online course, but there are certainly bigger things that we can be doing with uh, interaction and the kind of education side of things as well. Um, We're also keen to uh, make these resources as scalable and as replicable as possible if people want to run in-person local versions of this program and also give them all the kind of back-end infrastructure that we have in order to um, kind of make it as easy as possible for them to run the course on their own. So the second opportunity um, is, uh, that I mentioned is open access research and the fact that if we can get more people doing, especially in the kind of less developed um, sectors of this industry, uh, doing the kind of pre-competitive, very basic level research, that means that we can have all of the companies in this space who are currently trying to cover lots of, lots of ground on their own Um, can have a better foundational base to work off of and then build build their value off of. Um, So in in terms of how we're looking at this at Cambridge, we're currently running an academic mapping and outreach project where we're trying to identify the um, kind of most high-potential academics whose research could be really, really um, important for addressing uh, technical bottlenecks in this space. Um, And we're really trying to do this in as multidisciplinary a way as possible. As Saren mentioned, there is especially now that this industry, the issue is scale. There is so much potential for engineers to be building the bioreactors that we need, for computer scientists to be modelling how the fluid dynamics work on large scales. We need economists looking at how you get the economic incentives right to make this kind of transition. Social scientists looking at how we handle this transition in as least um, socially disruptive a way as possible. The kind of agriculture industry is... uh, the kind of main livelihood for hundreds of millions of people around the world. And if we're fundamentally disrupting this industry, it needs to be handled in in a good way. So um, yeah, we're trying to kind of keep this as broad and as multidisciplinary as possible. So in terms of the way we've gone about it, we've kind of built our our team doing the academic mapping. We have um, kind of skilled them up and clued them up in the alternative protein space. Started to map uh, the high potential academics, um, and then actually we paused the outreach stage to focus on the uh, fundamentals program. Um, we also need to have a very good think about how we handle the outreach in as um, uh, kind, of, uh, well, kind of in as good a way as possible to really get buy-in from these academics rather than kind of um, this feels like a pretty crucial stage. so in terms of the steps we took to this. Um, We were kind of building the mapping team initially, we've now got a team of about 14 different postgrads from 10 different departments at the university. Um, And then they went through a number of the key readings from the fundamentals program to make sure they understood the kind of technical side of this, um, of this industry in as much detail as possible so that they would be uh, well primed for kind of spotting the academics who have high potential in this space. Um, We then used the GFI's uh, alternative protein solutions database, which Sarah already alluded to, which, um, as you said, is a kind of menu of the key technical bottlenecks in this space and how we can, um, what needs to be done to address those. Uh, And we kind of went through and identified the ones that were most appropriate for academic research and assigned them to the kind of most relevant departments at the university. Um, We then went through and kind of browsed each university department or it got split up by the kind of different people who had specialisms or um, connections within each different department um, and were matching academics to key issues or key problems that they could be solving. Uh, So for example, um, this was an academic who has uh, a lot of experience in lipid metabolism and lipid synthesis and uh, they were matched up to um, the kind of lipid production problems or lipid technical bottlenecks in the alternative protein space. So, right now, we have a database of just under 100 uh, academics who we think are high potential for specific areas. Um, And, like I said, we're going to begin the outreach phase of this shortly. Um, Cool. So, in terms of future projects, um, we are looking towards kind of doing this outreach phase of the academic mapping project. Uh, fundamentals Programme Version 3, like I said, just kind of doing the impact evaluation and working out how we can improve it for the next time round. Um, looking at other field-building initiatives, such as uh, an Alternative Protein Student Summit and how we can get... Um,